Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. We are recording this early. It's 4.48 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. The sky is blue, some little tufts of, of gorgeous white clouds in the sky. Be flying away from here in, Lord, less than 48 hours, then spending the rest of the month in Indianapolis. <sighs> Let me do a couple real quick things, and then we'll come right back to that. As always, I want to say a big thank you to y'all for the questions that you send in that power this show. Massive thank you as well to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting my podcast. We just two days ago passed the six-year anniversary mark. So completed six years, now six years and two days old. Uh, we also, right around the same time, passed the 8 million download mark since uh, I launched this back uh, six years ago. That was with the first year, two, two and a half, maybe even three, where downloads were light, modest, uh, but things have certainly ramped up here the last couple of years because of you, right? Thank you. Seriously. This is all because of you and our show partners certainly are here because of you. And they tell me routinely, they love supporting this show because of y'all, the community that you all have created. Uh, I always try and call out and pay respect to the Prue Day. Uh, the group of listeners who've come together around this show and just kind of built a thing of their own, become friends, awesome men, awesome women, folks of every shape and color, uh, every orientation, every everything. Truly a beautifully diverse and awesome group of folks who love motor racing, maybe IndyCar a little bit more than others. And so big thanks to y'all for being in my life, uh, our lives here, my wife and I, Shabrell. Just thank you. So, yeah, six years, eight million downloads, and more fun to come. Coming back to heading out to Indy for 18 days or whatever it is. So this is the part where I just tell you the truth. Uh, I'm really nervous and anxious. Not the doing my job part. Uh, I love that. That's fun. That's awesome. Haven't been able to cover Indy. I mean, I was there through qualifying in 2019. And then, uh, yeah, that Monday got the call. Wife was in the emergency room and, uh, it's been a heck of a journey ever since, but haven't been able to cover the Indianapolis 500, even the Indy road course race uh, since 2019. So I can't wait. It's a lot of fun stuff coming whether it's the little hashtag MP show me videos that I've planned some retro features that I've been working on like crazy just before recording here. And I'll go back to afterwards. It's a lot of fun stuff coming. Oh, being away from my wife for 18 days. Uh, that is not something that is sitting well with me, but it's part of the job. So this isn't uh, oh, woe is me. No sympathy is asked for needed any of that. Just sharing, because this is the format that we do this on a weekly basis. So as her caretaker, as the person who makes her breakfast and lunch and dinner and takes care of the household, feeds the cats. It's Rosie's birthday today, by the way, our cat Rosie. She turns nine. Um, 
as the person who just takes care of her, looks after the house, looks after everything while she's uh, fighting cancer and, and continuing to win this really long, drawn-out battle. Just saying, y'all. Uh, oh, that's the part that uh, I'm struggling with, and I pray a lot for peace and clarity and calmness there, but if I'm a little bit off at any point this month going forward, you'll know why because my heart is absolutely not wanting to leave here. But I'm one of those idiots who chose a job that involves traveling and going places and being a sports reporter. And so, yeah, I kind of got to do my job. So there you go. That's a little uh, bit there. Uh, Before we jump right in, and I hope you all are enjoying the newer format uh, I've shaped the show to be, that being about an hour episode sometimes a tiny bit longer sometimes a little bit less couple exceptions right we would expect after the indy 500 maybe a big dramatic race will go a little bit longer but i hope you're enjoying the shorter format i am it's just fitting a much busier life uh far better than the hour and a half to two plus so appreciate all your questions and all those that our pal jim kaiser puts together for us each week come back to the pru day real quick If you want to join, if you want to become part of a new family of friends who talk about racing, talk about life, recipes, pop culture, whatever, do that through instant messaging platforms, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, prudayrocks at gmail.com, and they will invite you informally within a couple of days. Last little thing I'll mention here is if you're going to be at the Indy Road Course on Friday, please come pay a visit, 3 o'clock, the Vendor Midway. Uh, We're going to be putting on the first little live MP podcast in three years, and we got six rings and, what, three wins? Uh, Well, there's a lot of wins, but three wins. Pato Award, our newest race winner in IndyCar. Going to have Elio Castro Neves. Going to have our pal... Are in Lion Dyke as well. They're in the Cooper Tire stage. Have the the two current drivers for 15, 20 minutes or so. We're doing this at three, and it's really the only window everyone could find ahead of qualifying at four. So I'm truly a little bit shocked that they said yes to that time period. I'd want total mental clarity and, and peace. But nonetheless, they're going to come join us, have some fun. Come on out. Uh, we're going to do that there. Like I said, three o'clock Friday in the vendor midway, my social media at Marshall Pruitt got the little promo poster there done by the brilliant Roger Warwick. So come see us. If you happen to be a member of the Prue day and happen to be in attendance, please let yourself be known once the show is over. Cause I got a one, maybe two, uh, little thank you gifts for y'all. So raise your hand throw something at me, hurl some sort of curse word my way, um, let it be known. So look forward to hopefully seeing a number of y'all from the Day there on Friday. Okay, I am sipping. <laughs> Speaking of the Day, uh, this episode is being done in part uh, with the consumption of a new ales. OMG Becky, look at that pumpkin, pumpkin ale uh, made in Middletown, Ohio. Uh, sent by some great folks in the Prude who love to put bizarre beers in front of me. 
And I can't crack it open because I already did that, so I can't make that sound effect for you. But let me take a sip of, oh my God, Becky, look at that pumpkin, pumpkin-flavored ale. Yeah, that's problematic. Um, yes, that, it has the taste of everything a beer should not be. But I do appreciate the folks who brewed and bottled it in Middletown, Ohio. So they send this stuff through just to get a reaction out of me. <laughs> and yeah, my taste buds are uh, are maybe not in compliance. But nonetheless, let's get rolling here. I'm going to do a couple questions talking about the month of May. Then we're going to jump into last weekend's Miami Grand Prix. Some great questions there as well. And then rock and roll until we reach the one hour mark or so. Thanks again once more to our pal Jim Kaiser for putting all these together. We're going to kick this off with Marissa. Hey, Marissa. She says, as we're about to get the month of May rolling, doing it officially, what are some things you'll be keeping your eyes on? Drivers, teams, or what have you? Ooh, great one, Marissa. So maybe the the biggest overarching one, written about it twice this week, on racer.com and that's the old engine wars i no folks care about that anymore i hope they do chevy is strong we know that having won four races in a row uh three out of four poles i think i mistakenly said four poles as well on the show and also in print <laughs> thanks to my friends at honda performance development for reminding me i'm a moron colton herta was on pole at long beach but that's going to be the interesting part marissa Every year, I would say, especially during this new twin turbo or turbocharged V6 era that started in 2012, that's always been my first point of spotting. What am I looking for? Who's rising up? Is it Chevy or Honda? In 2012, we also got to ask, is it Lotus? The answer was no. Um, That's what I'm watching for. And as you might have read in the piece I put together on Racer, about Honda, about HPD, how they're trying to come back and not just get steamrolled throughout the month of May. There's only so much we're going to see leading up to and through qualifying. That's because the vast majority of the engines in play on both sides will be the ones that the drivers have used so far this season. So if we're talking about specification and manufacturers can make all kinds of upgrades throughout the year. Uh, what are we going to get? What are we going to see? What's going to be available in terms of horsepower, in terms of fuel economy, upgrades? That's what I'm looking for. Do I expect things to change radically through practice and qualifying at the 500 or even on the road course? No. Chevy has had an advantage. It would be strange to see that advantage mysteriously come to an end while using the same engines that have been in the cars delivering those advantages so far the thing i'm looking for is once we get to carb day final practice session that's where the majority of the field except for the indie only entrance will have fresh motors whatever the latest and greatest ideas both brands have come up with that get plugged in by them per the rules allowed by indycar to put in new motors for the race, and it's those that carry the best ideas, new ideas, new concepts from HPD to will they catch Chevy? Will they overcome the deficit and then get ahead? 
what does Chevy have coming, right? Are they going to be able to improve more and maintain that advantage or extend it? Uh, will Honda come up with something that's better and overtake them? We're going to find out here. <laughs> We're going to find out soon. That's the thing I'm looking for more than anything. So what does that mean if we're talking about the 33 entries in the field? Well, we know that Chip Ganassi Racing was pretty darn good at Indianapolis last year. Scott Dixon on pole, Alex Pelot driving like a madman, uh, finishing second. What are they going to be able to do to maintain the, the leading edge of Honda's spear? Is that something they'll be able to do? Again, uh, at least prior to the race, I don't know where we're going to see both manufacturers' teams shake out on the speed charts. The the toes that we see during practice and such, you know, those can sometimes be an outlier. Won't be surprised if a Honda is fastest one day or two days or however many days if that driver just happened to get a monstrous toe. It's just more a case of, okay, uh, where within that Honda camp are we going to see a leader emerge? Is this going to be Ganassi holding on to that edge? Andretti Autosport, which is always pretty darn good there. Where will they factor in? Are they going to be at the top? Hey, there's this team, Meyershank Racing. <laughs> they happened to win the thing last year. Are they going to be able to maintain that front-running performance capability. Those are some of the things I'm looking for there. On the Chevy side, Team Penske's been very good, but it's been just a little little while since it felt like they were super on top of things. Are they going to be able to assert themselves at the 500 in practice, in qualifying, in that same way? Right. We know how strong they've been to open the season, but... 500's a bit of a different creature. Will Ed Carpenter Racing continue to move forward? You no, know, Connor Daly is a monster on ovals. Renus as well. What's going to happen there? Be interesting to see how the uh, the Chevy side shakes out. Air McLaren SP, right? They were very good last year. Not very great. They're a team that I'll be looking at probably more than any other Chevy team, Marissa, to see where they fit. Are they able to knock uh, a carpenter down and become the second best? Are they able to get ahead of Penske, be number one? That's maybe the, the bigger thing I'm looking for there on the Honda side. Feels like there's a bunch of good teams, Ray Hall as well. Are they going to rise in a way that they want to, that they really haven't done this year? So I think we're going to see a bunch of very good Hondas. Carb day and race day will tell us whether they have a shot at winning or not. Chevy side, definitely an Aero McLaren SP spotlight. Keep your eyes on. Uh, if they're able to bring all of their talent to bear, they might have a little something uh, to say on race day. After that, close this theme. What do we have from some of the uh, the smaller teams, the either underdogs or just underappreciated Takuma Sato, Dale coin racing. That guy tends to be electric in any car that he drives at the speedway. What are we going to see from Taku dryer and Reinbold racing for sure. Good old, uh, Santucci. Hey rock or cat rock. He's meowing. Uh, good old Santucci. 
we expect him to do big things. Sage Karam, big things as well. I'd love to see Dennis Reinbold's team at least continue what they showed us at the Indy Open test. So, yeah. Um, where does Callum Eilat factor in? He did okay at the uh, Texas Oval Race, his first ever Oval Race. He's going to have Ryan Hunter Ray coaching him up. Rocky has now jumped up and walked by. Um, what does he have to offer? So, I'm always looking for the engine wars. I'm always looking for, is there going to be a change in hierarchy among however many engine camps who rises, who falls. And then also which one of the smaller teams or the underdogs are going to make the bigger teams very, very unhappy. Our pal, Matt Philpot says when a team like Aaron McLaren SP fields an entry for the Indy road course with their Indy only car, their 500 special entry driver who's that more of a benefit of is that for the crew's benefit get them warmed up or is that for the driver really depends who it is matt someone like monterior someone like our man montoya would say this is something of equal benefit he obviously did the open test here recently but getting a start on the road course just getting into the rhythm getting into pit stop rhythm hitting his marks, listening to spotters, getting their feedback plugged into his head uh, more repeatedly, getting more connected with his race engineer and vice versa. This really is a big pregame scrimmage, right? This is truly something that matters for all the Indy-only I say I'm referring to the Indy 500, but obviously for those who are doing the Indy 500 as their primary race, but are able to do the road course as a warm up. I don't want to say their teams this year, years past, you name it, have just looked at it as a throwaway. Not the case. Obviously, they'd love to win the Indy road course. That'd be amazing. They aren't doing it for that, though. They're doing it for the absolute thing that you're raising here and what I mentioned. Let's get in. Let's get warmed up. If we're going to be our most effective self, would you want to be completely cold, completely green, turning that first lap in the car with the team during the opening day of practice? And again, I realize that they had some time with Indy Open Test, but I mean the real serious we're in the event, the conditions that are here, what we have to work with, we're really starting totally from scratch, first day of school kind of thing. Would you rather want someone as a driver and the vital men and women working around them on the crew to have that first day of school feel on the first day of practice for the Indy 500, knowing that just in a few days you're going to be qualifying? Would you rather back that process up do the Indy road course, be happy with whatever you get, but know that by the time you come back for the first day of oval practice, you got something that's already stretched and limber and warm and focused and ready, and you can get down to business, not waste time having to figure each other out and get into a groove. That's the reason why. That's the uh, the reason why both sides benefit only thing that would be slightly different is if it was a driver on a part-time program who maybe had done one or two races earlier in the year, might have taken a little bit of time off, but was coming back to do the Indy 500, right? 
Jer Hildebrand comes to mind. I know he's only done one race with the team so far at Texas Motor Speedway, the A.J. Foyt team. But at least he's been able to go through a full weekend of practice qualifying and racing, do a bunch of pit stops, and then add the uh, uh, the Indy Open test for him, uh, jumping in for uh, just the first day of practice for the 500, not the, uh, the Indy Road Course race. Not going to be a big deal at all. I want to go to Kyle Ward. Says, I'm planning to head to Indy for one of the practice days. Any advice for a first-time practice goer? Okay, first of all, Kyle, I just about had an aneurysm because, <laughs> again, it's Tuesday, it's 5 o'clock here, 5-ish California. And, yeah, the fact that you mentioned next week we're starting practice for the Indy 500, in my head it still feels like it's really far away. Then I just realized, no, moron. Friday morning, you're going to be at the IMS credential office picking up your stuff uh, early, blasting on very minimal sleep, blasting over, trying to get settled into the media center, and then it's, what, three sessions or something like? Just boom, 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 plus we're going to do a live show. Then we're going to have the race the following day, and then two days after that, we're on track for the 500. All right, I got to speed my head up here. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think my advice is going to be the same that I've always given when I've been asked this question about the Indy Road Course and any natural terrain road course where such things are allowed. And that is, unless you absolutely feel the need uh, to sit in a grandstand somewhere. Um, plan on going there and plan on it being a walking day. So whether it's the road course this weekend, and I know you're talking about oval practice next week, but just saying whether it's the uh, road course this weekend or even uh, the speedway afterwards, it's really cool if you can or if you want to. I don't know what they charge for tickets. Get up in the grandstands, you know, get up high, take a look, see that big view, uh, enjoy that, but do not go with the mindset of, I have bought a grandstand seat. I will sit here for eight hours and then go home. Uh, Indianapolis, whether you are in the infield, whether you are, I guess, the outfield, uh, whether you're on the outside, it is a place to walk around and see and try to enjoy from as many vantage points as possible do realize that there are yellow shirts saying, no, you can't go here, go there. And there's some, definitely some places where uh, you might not be able to get to exactly where you want. But if we're talking oval practice in the infield, you can go to three of the four corners. Uh, Turn three, you can get up pretty darn close. Turn two, you can get up pretty darn close. Turn two has some viewing mounds. Uh, turn four does as well. They're pulled back just a little bit, uh, so you're not right on or right next to the track like you are at the other two corners. Turn one, uh, you're a little bit back, just a little bit uh, there. Kind of busy stuff going on there, but plan on going, Kyle. Uh, please check in advance. Don't say, hey, that idiot Pruitt told me I could bring this in. What the heck? I don't know if they allow backpacks. I don't know if they allow rolling whatevers, but my advice would be, uh, sure, buy a 
ticket to see something cool up in turn one looking down it's kind of it's an iconic view do that or if provided they allow you to i don't pretend to know what they do or don't open for grandstand viewing uh, during practice i probably should but again i'm there working so those aren't places that i'm going uh much less would i have a reason to know exactly what was or wasn't available unfortunately but get up top take a look that's cool but don't spend all day there definitely plan on going for a tour walking around i hope you bring a camera uh take some photos and see and hear and feel uh the experience of the speed that's the crazy cool thing to get as much as you can from the infield i don't know how many areas you're going to be able to get to to watch uh, from the outside of the track. Once again, I can't speak for what you are, aren't allowed to do, uh, just cause for the places that I go, that's kind of media access, special access. I've got badges and vests and all kinds of junk to get me into those spots. But I can tell you that turn three, turn four from the outside, um, practice days I can tell you that it sure seems like might be able to walk around and see some cool stuff. Um, I really love getting back there. It's the far end, quieter end in terms of traffic and people and whatnot. Whether you're watching from the inside uh, for a while, then go through the tunnel and walk to the outside, hang a right, go towards turn three, hang a left, go towards turn four. Whether it's trying to get up in the grandstands if you're loud or just somewhat eye level peeking through wherever you can walk towards um it's a place kyle to close where i would say exploration is the perfect mindset i might even set a challenge for yourself of how many really cool places can i go and watch from and take pictures from capture some video just listening to the sounds it's phenomenal. It really and truly is. So I would maybe set that as your challenge. I mentioned a backpack or something just where you can have some water and some suntan lotion and something to eat where you can be mobile and fully self-sufficient, some little charger for your, uh, your phone and whatnot. Just, I would say, go there with that mindset. You're probably going to be really happy. I hope by the way, uh, you can report back, tell us how it went, what you found Maybe you can uh, give us some sort of detail. Hey, if y'all want to try and do this, uh, wander over here to this spot because there's some great stuff. Uh, let's see. I'm going to take a sip here again of my, oh, my God, Becky. <laughs> this is the best. Worst. Uh, Fred Melky. How you doing, Fred? Uh, says, it used to be that the car qualified for Indy, not the driver. This is at least before the cart IRL split. As many teams bought backup cars, T cars, uh, to the speedway as they were called, is it still a rule that it's the car and not the driver that qualifies for the 500? Uh, you got a lot of questions here after this, so let me take that one. Uh, yeah, the old school rule of it was the car, not the driver. Yeah, not so much. Uh, used to be cars would get, you'd get three attempts per chassis. One of the things that real diehard IndyCar fans, and this is, I don't even know if it's a dozen people or a hundred people, or it feels like it'd be a hundred people or less, maybe 10 or less. 
folks who have actively documented chassis numbers for however long they've wanted to do that. Every chassis that comes through, every chassis that qualifies, fails to qualify, crashes, you name it. There's a super tiny amount of people, but there are some people who are known to actively document this. It's not limited to the Indy 500. There are those who do this and other forms of racing too. But I just mentioned that because, yeah, it used to be a case, for those who didn't know, where a chassis, whatever that chassis number was, had three attempts to make it into the show. And if you didn't, you were screwed. Um, that extended into the IRL for a little while, Fred, because I know that we went through that fear and, and nightmare in 1997 in the first Indy 500 I ever did, that being with the Thomas Knapp Motorsports Genoa racing team with Greg Ray using a Delara 97 Delara chassis, IR 97, uh, purchased from AJ Foyt Racing. Uh, we made it in on our third attempt, and we were sweating bullets, Fred, because we were relatively poor as a team, had one car, and if we didn't make it with that, we sure as heck didn't have the budget to go buy or lease or anything another. So, yeah. But that was the case, and there were situations where people failed three times in that car, and the car itself was excluded. It was the norm forever, but also, when I think back, a really bizarre thing. Anyways, that thankfully is gone. So you can use a chassis as many times as you want. Uh, they don't keep track of how many times you might have failed to qualify and then tell you to take that car off of the grounds afterwards. So I'd say that's a positive thing. Uh, you also asked, do many teams have backup cars and speedway trim with engines? You also say you seem to recall that uh, once the uh, primary cars were safely qualified, uh, back in the day, teams would roll out their backup cars uh, towards the end of bump day and maybe uh, give a, a smaller driver or someone a chance to qualify in it. You mentioned AJ Foyt did this a few times. Yeah, there's a number of folks that did that. Uh, is it even possible under the rules today? Uh, do teams even have backup car equipment? Um, all right. So, great question. The IndyCar rule book since 2012, at least. If it was beforehand, I if this rule is in place beforehand, I apologize. I've forgotten. But since this new engine formula came out, now in its 11th season... The rules have been very clear in stating teams can only have one engine per entry. So let's say Marco Andretti. Uh, Marco has one Honda in his team, his entry's possession. If he wants to go to a backup car, let's say he crashes the first, let's say he just thinks the first, his primary chassis, is chock full of demons and is possessed and says, I know I can't drive it anymore. We have to give my backup car a chance. I be firmly believe it's going to be better. They don't have a second motor to put into that backup car to just wheel out in an instant and use. They have to pull the motor from the primary car, put it in the backup. When we see a driver crash, for example, and maybe it's mostly front-end damage. Uh, we will see the motor get yanked out of that car, 
get inspected by the team and Chevy or Honda. Make sure there's no cracks or major issues. Hopefully the motor person didn't go backwards and spin the motor backwards with you know the, uh, a gear engaged and damage the thing. Assuming it's fine, you'll see that teams yank that motor out and chuck it back into uh, the spare car to get that driver back out. So uh, the old days of having a, a spare car ready and warmed up and, hey, we'll just go back and forth between the primary and the, the T car, uh, the spare, and see if we like one more than the other. And, hey, if we get in the show and everything's good and we're qualified, hey, let's roll out another one for young driver A, B, or C. Yeah, those days are long gone, my friend. Uh, why don't we go to Craig Johnston as I managed to do some weird stuff here to the sheet that the document that Jim created for me. Let's jump next to Craig Johnson. Craig says, MP, you mentioned on the previous show that you'll be spending a lot of days in Indy. Where do you stay during that time? Do you get a hotel or share an Airbnb with other media types? Or do you just cozy up in the corner of a different garage each night and hope they don't notice you? The latter would be a blast. Uh, actually, be really cold. It would suck. Um, so, okay. Get a hotel. Uh, I have one hotel that I've been staying at for, I don't know, the last eight, ten years. I love it. It is as nice as can be afforded reasonable uh cost to stay there um and it's perfect i love it i love it i love it my wife has come out in the past stayed uh during race week once or twice and she thoroughly loved it as well so yeah it's a hotel i love the idea of sharing an airbnb with other media types i'm going to say this and it is not meant to be mean spirited it's just again telling you the truth <sighs> I know I'm a member of the media. I get that part, but I don't I don't feel like a member of the media. And I don't have much in common with most members of the, I would say, the, the full-time hardcore media. Just come from a different space. And so I think that's why Robin Miller and I got along famously for so long. It's because he was a mechanic and, and team guy who got into the reporting side. That's exactly what I did. When I'm in the media center, it's fun. A lot of friends and a lot of folks that I really enjoy. I just would never think of sharing a room or a house with them because just racing people are my people, team people, drivers, mechanics, engineers, whatever. Like Those are my people. And so those are the folks that I'm most comfortable with because we're, I guess, come from the same place. So uh, there you go. Uh, also, I can't think of any other member of the media that would want me in their house because, yeah, uh, I'm a little bit of an extrovert sometimes, and I don't know if that is a trait that I see in a lot of the members of the media. So um, there you go. Uh, looking forward to it, though, and I've come up with something I've never thought to do before. And it's really sad when I realize I should have thought about this years before. Instead of trying to lug a bunch of things out to Indianapolis that I want or will need or will use for the month, 
And instead of spending hours driving around to local, uh, not so much grocery stores, but, uh, you know, uh, pharmacy or this, that, or the other to buy a lot of things, um, just decided to make use of Amazon and have Amazon deliver a lot of things to the hotel since it's going to be the better part of three weeks. And so that's the little thing. Finally, Craig, uh, all these years later, it occurred to me like, all right, you dummy, why don't you just do that? So there you go. Uh, Vincent 1701, we are uh, closing this Indy 500 thread with you. Has IndyCar given any reason why the GP is not changed up between road races uh, change a turn or two, run it clockwise. Has there been any serious discussion on this? Uh, I have not heard any discussion on this. As for why don't they just randomly change things? Give me a reason. I mean, in order to make a change, usually there's some sort of reason. I want to grow my hair out. I want to cut my hair. I want to change this. Like, there's usually some sort of trigger point to make change. So, uh, until I would say someone says, this is terrible, we have to do it differently, I wouldn't expect them to do that. All right, let's jump into a series of questions here that I've been looking forward to getting to uh, since we started the show. And this is coming to us thanks to our pal Cassie Johnston. Look forward to hopefully meeting in person this weekend. She says, let's talk F1's rise and U.S. popularity and how it relates to IndyCar. She says, hashtag me personally. I'm excited. Americans are falling in love with motorsports again, regardless of their entry point. She says, rising tides lift all boats, unless those boats are in a faux marina, obviously. How do you feel? And we've got a couple other great uh, F1 Miami-related questions here to follow. I'm with you, Cassie. Totally with you. Completely agree that... Motor racing becoming more popular can only be a good thing. Let me take another sip of my beer here because I need it. The part that makes me jealous, and I'm not prone to jealousy, by the way. So when I feel jealous, it really sticks out in my head like, oh, wow, all right, you got an issue here, dude. Uh, I'm so jealous that Formula One in my home country is the coolest fastest prettiest most glamorous thing uh for that folks want to follow all of a sudden and we know why right obviously uh drive to survive it's timing during a pandemic when folks are locked in and looking to be entertained discover this amazing docu-series get brought into this like we know the reasons why uh, the the little flame started and it has grown into a forest fire of popularity and that is awesome for racing's sake oh, i just hope wish it will somehow spread to indycar nascar is already popular it's doing fine i hope it would jump to IndyCar and then jump to IMSA as well. IMSA is amazing. The most underrated, underappreciated by the masses, uh, form of or sanctioning body and type of racing. I would say we have in this country 
Now, the diehards love it, but it only has diehards. It doesn't have any kind of casual fans to really build up and build upon. Uh, so I was on the phone uh, today with my pal Martin Brundle, and we were talking about F1's rise in popularity in the country. And uh, being in the UK, I would not expect him to get all of the latest news and demographics and you name it. Um, wanted to share the little press release here from ESPN that I got and just mentioned to him, uh, what did they say here? Uh, through five races, the 2022 F1 season is averaging 1.4 million viewers per race. Up, this is the crazy number, 49% over the 2021 season. Uh, which had an average of 949,000 viewers per race. Uh, again, uh, what, 90-something percent of them on ESPN. Uh, and up 131% over the 2020 season. So just imagine that. In 2020, on ESPN, the average was 609,000 viewers. I realize we just had a big uh, ABC uh, Miami Grand Prix. So that's pushed the number up. It'll come back down a little bit as you know, we see in IndyCar when we have our NBC races versus it being on cable, but nonetheless, 1.4 million viewers for the season so far compared to less than half of that just two years ago. <sighs> Jealousy. Thy name is me. Because I want nothing more than to be able to say, Cassie, hey, this thing that y'all love in Formula One, and they've got the glamour and the celebrities, and they've got right, they've got more money than just just about any other form of sport in the world. They spend it, they get it back in crazy amounts, but it's this is something where their financial horsepower is so much higher than ours in IndyCar that you have to set reasonable expectations for how popular IndyCar could be with what they have to spend versus what F1 has to spend here in the country. So it still doesn't change the fact, though, Cassie, that, wow, uh, for the longest time, when talking to someone about my profession, whether I raise the subject, maybe my wife, would raise the subject in whatever setting we were in. I would mention, they would mention, you know, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, I'm a sports reporter, you know, work in motor racing. Two words always come back. Oh, comma, NASCAR? Because that was the one and only or major frame of reference the average person in the country had. Wind back to the 70s, 80s, 90s for the most part ask that question or, or raise that topic and they would say oh indycar indy 500 because it was the number one form of racing in the country most identifiable that folks would know even if they didn't know much about it at least they knew the name indycar indy 500 that's what came to their mind as the top thing to mention that changed with nascar and I'm just saying, Cassie, the dream I've held and others have held is for us to get back to that, hey, what does the average American think when they think of racing? Say IndyCar, say IndyCar. 
it feels like it could be F1. That's, that's why I just mentioned all this. It's been NASCAR. I feel like maybe it's a little more topical, right? Hey, if there's a U.S. Grand Prix at wherever happening, I think it's probably going to rise up more and maybe subside a little bit. But I do think you could talk to the average American here now, maybe within the next year or two. Hey, tell me about motor racing. What comes to mind? They might be saying Las Vegas Grand Prix, Miami Grand Prix, Austin Grand Prix, uh, before anything else. So I just hope, I don't know the mechanism of how, but I just really and truly hope that this big, big boost for F1 does not totally overshadow our domestic series that we love, our domestic open wheel series. Uh, and I do hope that some of the interest rubs off, but we just aren't able to offer the same thing. The exclusivity, the excitement, the kind of paparazzi feel. Huh. I was talking with Colton Herta today saying, I called him like, hey, are you that guy I saw in a paparazzi photo walking into the F1 paddock on Friday? Had a little bit of fun. He's like, yep, that was me. And I'm like, yeah, you looked amazing in your Chuck Taylors and blue jeans and basic t-shirt. Bit of a joke, obviously. He was dressed just very nondescript, but that Cassie stands out to me so much. If we're just talking the difference, there are a number of photographers, not like idiots who are only there for whatever salacious, uh, dramatic reasons, but there are real true, highly credentialed photographers who plant themselves at just inside the entryway of where all the drivers and team principals and frankly everybody has to badge their way in uh, to come into the paddock behind the paddock each morning and amazing photographers whose names you've seen on photos that are just exquisite of this car and driver at this track over the years these same photographers get there early and camp out 20 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet back from the entryway to give themselves enough space uh, to capture full frames of the drivers walking in in their various fashion displays. Lewis Hamilton's kind of the number one guy doing that at every round, but there's certainly others. And Colton Herta was one of those. Like, truly, that's the first time I knew he was at the track was just from one of these, hey, American IndyCar driver Colton Herta arrives in the F1 paddock. And I'm like, dude, I've seen these for years. Don't get me wrong, but it was just phenomenal, Cassie, to see one of our best being thrust into this where just him showing up in the paddock was deserving and warranting of, quote, paparazzi-style photos of him, what he was wearing, the fact that he arrived. Those are uploaded to... You know, major media outlets for folks to use and present. That's how rabid the consumption is for F1. Folks want to see what the drivers are wearing in each day. Do we even know if our drivers wear clothes coming into the track? They could all be nude. I don't know. Because this is so far off of our radar. 
this is something that is so far removed from what IndyCar has reached in terms of popularity and what, again, however many fans want to see. I'm not saying diehard F1 fans want to know what Charles Leclerc wore in on Saturday at Miami, but it just speaks to a very different level of interest and consumption. And all those photographers that I mentioned, some of them who are legendary and are probably biting their tongues going, I cannot believe I have to do this, but people want it and I get paid for it. That's how far behind we are with our drivers, team principals, whatever, as personalities that people know about, care about, and want to not just see on the racetrack in their driver's suit and helmet and whatever else, but actually want to know and care about them outside the cars and see all aspects of their lives. How do we get some of that? Because the minute we start getting people asking for photographers to shoot Joseph Newgarden's attire as he walks into the Indy Grand Prix Friday morning and uh, David Malukas and whomever else, oh, I'll be doing a happy dance because it tells me uh, more people care and more people want to know about the full picture of IndyCar, not just the on-track racing. Uh, Peter Nutt says the highlight of the weekend, Willie T. Ribs on TV. Mario Andretti getting to drive an F1 car, something that Zach Brown promised he could do at Austin. Knowing Colton was in the McLaren garage soaking it all in. What says you? Um, let's see. Yeah. Uh, I tried to consume as much of it as I could. It was hard to stay on top of everything. I can tell you that Willie T is pretty awesome. Had him on the uh, hashtag racing family show on Monday. He and I spoke, I think Sunday night. I forget when exactly, but that was a, a rip roaring download on things. <sighs> Romain Groshaw mentioned uh, recently that he believes some F1 drivers will be sticking around and coming to the Indy Grand Prix this weekend. Like, just the promise of that. Hey, we might get a F1 driver or two that wants to come to our race. Seems to be like, wow, validating and exciting and right and I'm not saying all of y'all are that way. I've just seen a number a number of social media posts, at least, that are really riled up about the potential of F1 driver or drivers being there. I'm just like, oh, man. Um, could y'all get riled up that the amazing Scotty McLaughlin's going to be there? Uh, hey, um, Mark Erickson's going to be there. He's pretty cool. Uh, hey, uh, run down the list. I don't know. Uh Great stuff, Peter. Over the top, uh, excess at every step. I don't know if I fell in love with the track itself, at least from the very first practice session. It just looked not super conducive for great racing, and at least for how the race played out, kind of sort of confirmed those concerns, but they were charging, as I mentioned on the, the racing family show in some places they were charging $120 for hats. And I don't mean like crazy custom, uh, airbrushed hand painted. I mean, just embroidered it's like the ones you're going to buy this weekend of your favorite driver, those, the difference being, and those are going to cost you whatever 30 bucks. I don't know, maybe 40 if they're crazy, the same hats just with a Mercedes badge 
or a Red Bull logo or whatever. 80 to $100, and people were paying money for them. <sighs> Again, I just freely admit it, y'all. It's jealousy. I just want IndyCar to be there. I just don't know how we get there. Uh, so, yeah, good on F1 for making it look like they were freaking uh, rock stars. They were treated like rock stars. Um, I just want our people to be treated the same way. Uh, James Malloy, you ask a very uh, poignant, salient and other words that end with I-E-N-T uh, or E-N-T uh, question here. Says, we often hear the question, what is IndyCar's character? What is its hook? Well, MP, what do you think IndyCar's character or hook is? What makes it different and better than F1, NASCAR, etc.? How does the series lean into that character and brand itself with it? Silly man, don't you know? Defy everything. That's what it is. They defy everything. Even though we don't know what everything is, because that kind of sort of hasn't been overly defined. Um, I'm questioning it more and more, James. I really am. Uh, I'll be serious here for a moment. The more that I see Formula One kick our behinds, just with great big ideas, grand ideas, high ambition, high execution, winning the hearts and minds, I'm sure... Just being straight up with you, man. I, I'm not sure how to answer that anymore. It would be the diversity of tracks, the diversity of the skills of the drivers. Uh, our drivers can do things that no other drivers can do. Am I saying other drivers couldn't learn how to do this? No, that's I'm not saying that. But in terms of the skills our drivers possess, they are unlike any other racing driver skills in the world because of the five different tracks that we race on. So no one else does it. We do it. Plus we go faster than anybody. I know Danica mentioned F1's the fastest cars in the world. Um, we have the speed. We have the diversity. We have a great calendar. Uh, we have amazing history. These are all things that we have. Does any of that seem to be making a, rapid difference in IndyCar's growth. No, not at all. I'll just close here because i got a lot more questions to get to and the clock's starting to run out. If there's anything that F1's big push in the last year or two here and the upcoming growth of that push with three races next year, if there's anything this has caused, James, I would say it's a real reason for IndyCar to ask itself this question and worry and rush to find a meaningful and powerful answer. We all love IndyCar. Again, I'm not speaking ill of it. It's amazing. It's my favorite. I've dedicated my life to it. All the things you know about me and probably the same for yourself to whatever degree. But when you have someone with a similar product, open wheel racing. I know the cars are totally different. No, everything's different, but just saying when you have something that looks, sounds similar to yours and is being treated like it is the greatest thing in the world by your home audience, home fans, and yours is treated like, hey, that's cool, I think, but eh, uh, I'd, I'd rather follow... Max Verstappen's uh, social media 
life than run down the list. Someone else's in Indy cars. Um, you have to wonder whatever that hook is, whatever that character is, James, maybe it's time to acknowledge whatever we thought we had and whatever we thought was working. Maybe we need to rethink that. And I'm not speaking about IndyCar's veteran diehard closest fans. Not talking about the existing fan base. I'm talking about the growth we've seen F1 do. F1 went from nowhere to everywhere in a really short amount of time. How do we get IndyCar to that place where whatever number of fans we have now is doubled or tripled or quadrupled in a short amount of time? That thing would have already happened if we had that hook, that defining characteristic. The fact that it hasn't happened gives us the answer that we don't really have one because the history, the diversity, the driver skill, the speed, none of those things are turning IndyCar into a massively newly popular thing with a much larger fan base. So that's just the thing I dream of and want. Not mad at anybody, not blaming anybody, just saying when you see how well they're doing over here and you go, hey, our stuff is kind of like yours too. Uh, but it's like American home, this is us. But it's not nearly as much as the other. Oh, makes me jealous. Uh, Alex, you say, is Andretti going to sue F1? If F1 blocks his entry, will his uh, SPAC investors sue him? Uh, from what I understand, the SPAC is totally unrelated to F1. Um, I would say that if Andretti does sue, try to sue his way into F1, is that the way? Um, if you ask someone to marry you and they say no, uh, you could ask again. You could ask a third time as well. But if you're being told, no, I don't want to marry you, is legal, the legal route, the way to make that really major thing happen and, and start your wedded bliss through the courts? <laughs> Michael Andretti is going to be an F1 to try and sue his way there, it makes me feel like that's not something he would win for whatever reason. And even if he did, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that just doesn't seem like the right way to go. Uh, Jeremiah Morrell, you say the Enerson family is looking to partner with someone at, to run RC in the 2023 season. Is this where we could possibly see the Vassar Sullivan team come back? Is there another place or group that makes more sense to you? I don't think it'd be the Vassar Sullivan team because say they would want to do their own deal, not run somebody else's. They've already been a part of someone else's. So I don't think that would be the spot, Jeremiah. The thing I don't really have a feel for is where the Enersons are hoping to land. And RC didn't have any real thoughts that he hadn't jumped into that part yet, but would be, but if we're talking about, hey, we've got cars, a transporter, and $5 million, I think you'll have a couple that might be takers. Absence a foolish budget, 
I think they're going to struggle. So I'm not saying it's impossible, just saying I don't know. Uh, I don't, I'm struggling to think of where they'd land. Uh, Ryan Terpstra says, so Renus VK is the hot commodity right now. I remember when he broke an IndyCar, he had a good commercial partner. Does he still bring some budget or is it up to the team who wants him now? As I've understood Ryan f- since he signed his last contract with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, I think, if I remember correctly, it was like a one-year rookie deal. Then I think he did a two-year follow-up, which he's finishing the second year now. As I have heard, uh, there was some money brought in that first year, but since then he has indeed been a paid race car driver. So I do not believe wherever he ends up, whether it is staying with Ed or moving to another team, that bringing any money is part of that uh, plan. I think it's quite the opposite. It's how much are they going to pay him? Uh, Oscar Love says, Marshall, first congrats on your success. Well, thanks. Uh, I feel like I don't have any, but I'm going to keep working on it. Uh, he says, give me some something to hold on to regarding Miles Rowe. Sounds like this is the end of the road. <sighs> Take another sip of beer here, but it's a positive sip, Oscar. Uh, Ten minutes after my story went up, I got a call from a team owner, IndyCar team owner. Uh, who wanted me to tell them about Miles, said that they started watching Miles or were drawn to following him after his Saturday win at Barber. So full credit to that team uh, owner for seeing Miles saying, hey, that, that was pretty dang good. I need to start paying attention. Was unaware of the financial need. Uh, also asked, so does this kid have something, Right. Because uh, sometimes you have years right now, the Indy Lights season, Indy Lights depth, it's not the deepest. Uh, definitely some talent, but not scary talent. Uh, the top four, five, six spots. Um, his question was, hey, I haven't you know followed the ins and outs of USF 2000, but is this real? Does this kid have something serious to work with? To which I said, yes. Am I promising you that if you invest in him and get your sponsors behind him that you have a future IndyCar champion? Of course not. But he has indeed, on merit, shown us the kinds of things at the first level of the road to Indy ladder system that warrant continuation. Uh, Whether he develops into a a champion or not, I can't tell you. But if we're talking about is he worth it, I think he's answered that in a positive capacity. That team owner said, great, thank you. That's what I was needing to know. Can't promise anything, but I'm going to take this to partners, sponsors, you name it. So that was one thing. Uh, I forwarded the story to another team owner, team principal type, uh, and said, hey, (laughs) just saying, this kid might be worth your attention, might be a great development driver for you in the future, whatever. Um, Just put him on your radar. He wasn't already there. That team owner slash principal responded and said, I will check him out. Um. And then I had a call today from the awesome Liz Power, um, spouse of Will Power, but uh, former IndyCar team member, PR marketing type, super smart, uh, influential, and as she's been, you know, big help behind the scenes with Miles since Will spotted him. So we had a conversation. She was asking me some questions about uh, one person, one entity that has apparently reached out and said, hey, we would be willing to step in and help and sponsor. And so it's just wanting for a little bit of, of background on that person. And so 
Those are three good things. One of them, the latter, maybe being the most immediate possibility for something to keep the season going. The second one, uh, being the team owner who reached out almost immediately after the story went up, I'd say I'm, I'm encouraged by that, and I'm going to try and put that team owner and the powers and Augie Paps together here Friday at uh, the Speedway and see if they can, can see if they can come up with something. Uh, so I am encouraged. It's just one of those limited windows, right, Oscar? <laughs> I sure hope it happens quickly because if we got to wait, I don't know. Uh, that's a concern. Uh, let's see. Jeff Zerneski. Off topic, what five metal albums do you listen to preparing to write the next great, great article for Racer Magazine? You know, I've listened almost nonstop to one of my favorite bands, that being Mastodon, for about the past two months. It is, like, really worrying. I mean, constantly. Maybe even the same album over and over and over and over again, and some others. Uh, but what I've been listening to is not, has not been metal over the last um, week and a half, maybe? Uh, I've been listening to Canada's finest city and color. Uh, so, and that's color C O L O U R. Uh, so not metal at all, but I've been listening to, uh, city and color and, uh, his new album. What is it? As I tab over quickly, a pill for loneliness. Well, that's a sad title, but anyways, uh, I've been listening to that and let me scroll up here since I have iTunes Sorry that I'm not getting your, you your exact five albums that are metal, but uh, what else have I listened to? I don't know. Maybe not enough. I've kind of been listening to that Alter Bridge a little bit. Um, what else? I think I was listening... Who was I listening to? Uh, the Darkness I listened to uh, for the first time in a long time here in De La Soul. So... Yeah, uh, it sounds like I've just been stuck alphabetically kind of in the A's and uh, the C's and the D's primarily lately. Uh, Eric Harkrader, has crypto tanking lately put stress on some of the teams with crypto backers such as ECR? I don't know. I This is total assumption on my part, and I thank you all for staying here just a little bit past the uh, one-hour mark. With some of the volatility of the primary sponsors in mind it could be a auto internet based auto sales company like a carvana or as you mentioned some of the crypto based ones i can only hope and assume that the teams who have entered into contracts with such businesses have written contracts that are front loaded or pretty darn ironclad to prevent against tanking in the stock market, tanking in the crypto market, uh, tanking in general, things going sideways. Because, as you mentioned, some of the volatility here, it's a little bit different than Fred's lumber. So that's my hope. Uh, I wish, Eric, I was able to go and speak to a Ed Carpenter, for example, or Chip Ganassi and say, hi, can you tell me the details of the contract with the primary sponsor on car number 21 or 48 and whether you have any major concerns about uh, the financial issues they're going through? 
I can ask the, do you have any concerns? We're going to get some sort of positive thing back because showing strength, showing optimism, uh, that's always the need in those situations. So just hard to get a real honest answer most of the time, Eric. And so admittedly, I kind of don't bother. Uh, Simon Rafi, what do you think the chances are of getting more 500 mile races back on the calendar? Do you think the series needs it or would benefit from such races? I don't think it'd be a bad thing, but just for the sake of it, Simon comes back to that old fan, new fan thing. For those of us who've been around forever, remember the times of the triple crowns, the times when we would have two, three, however many 500 mile races back in the day. Those were fun. Those were cool. Would love to have them back. And I guarantee you that for the, the latest demographic I heard, the average IndyCar fan, I think I mentioned not too long ago, it was 55-year-old white male. More recently heard it was 54-year-old white male. But whatever it is for, and I'm not too far away from that, but for those of us who've been around during those days and loved them, I'm sure we'd love to see it. But that, to me, is just satisfying the base. I don't think the base is going anywhere. So my mind jumps, Simon, to what would new fans think? Do new fans know or care? If we were to add more 500 miles, milers, is there any provenance or feelings of things being super special if we were to not just have the Indy 500, but the throw whatever it is, Michigan 500, such and such 500, would that spark something? Would a 27-year-old lose their mind? Oh my God, we have another 500-mile race on the calendar. I don't know, but I don't think so. So that's just where my head goes with things like this, Simon. New base, old base. A new base, which we're still trying to build, would they know or would they care? And since I don't think the old base is going anywhere, I don't think the new base would give much of a fart. So therefore, it'd be cool to see. But from a strategy standpoint, I don't know if it does much for us. Uh, Matthew Croft, hey, P would introducing the Firestone Reds on the ovals have any impact on the racing? Uh, I love the strategy wrinkle it brings to road street courses. Yes, it absolutely would. It'd bring a variable that no team or driver wants. Uh, the higher grip but degradation rate of the reds uh, would, on a super speedway, I mean, we don't really go to a lot of slow ovals. I mean, even Iowa being 0.875 miles in length, uh, it's, quote, small, but, boy, it's fast. Um the one thing drivers do not want on ovals in an Indy car is a rapid drop-off in grip. Uh, yeah, big changes in handling performance and capabilities, that's scary. And it's because the driver who's driving through turn two at Indy or turn three at Texas or whatever, uh, feeling, oh boy, the fronts have just gone way off or the rears have just gone way off. They need to slow dramatically and slowing dramatically on places where cars zip around the ovals at high sustained speeds. That's where big crashes tend to happen. So that's why we have one speck of tire and it is a known and consistent thing. And that's where folks rest easy. Uh, three to go. We're done. Uh, race strategy, Greg Marrier. How are you doing, Greg? says, uh, thanks for giving us a peek inside IndyCar. I'd like to learn more about the strategy software available to help the teams pick between a two-stop or three-stop. 
imagine qualifying position and the pit in pit out times are major inputs uh but expected tire life history of yellows at the race need to save fuel and opportunity to get into clean air after the stop are also major variables does each team develop their own program someone keep updating the inputs as the race goes in is the software shared among all the cars running under technical alliance uh, and how much is done as a calculated call uh, versus how much of it is a seat of the pants thing I don't have a lot of input here for you, Greg. I need to learn more about this because I know that, uh, as Mike Shank shared not too long ago on an episode, they're using AI a heck of a lot more uh, to help with the predicting part of the strategery. I can tell you that while I believe every team uh, is in that space of using AI to help, and there are certainly race strategy software tools that monitor uh, fuel load, uh, laps to go, and the pace, and all kinds of things to help folks understand, hey, what are my options? How far can I go? Could I? Could we skip a stop if we went into hyper-conservation mode? Will the tires last? What is the driver saying? I mean, there's a lot of variables that are software-based that are used to help inform. There are others that aren't and can't hey, our tires are 30 laps old. The other person's tires are 30 laps old that we're fighting with, but their driver isn't as good as preserving them. The fact that they're both been used for the same length of time is immaterial. Uh, Our driver can save better, and therefore we can go longer. That will shape our decision on when and where to stop, what to do different, etc. There's a lot of those things, a lot of the things that you cannot punch into a proverbial spreadsheet or uh, software application that's going to spit out the magic number pit on lap 74 win race uh, a lot of the stuff is situational and that's where having veterans in the strategery role who are being fed great information from not necessarily the race engineer but assistant uh, engineer tends to be looking after uh, telemetry and fuel and strategy and uh, the strategy software and such. Um, that's why having a veteran in the strategery role really does make a big difference. We've had a couple teams in the last few years where they've promoted somebody to the role of strategist, and that has taken a little while for them, for that driver, that entry, to not suck because the person doing the strategy, while maybe being very experienced as a mechanic or as a whatever, hasn't been on the box, hasn't been seeing all the things that others have seen in that role to know what to do and what not to do. So just have to go through it, make errors, learn, and then you become proficient. A piece of software is not going to do that for you. So hopefully more to come here as I learn more, Greg. Thanks for asking. Uh, James Lau, you say with Jamie Chadwick looking like the odds-on favorite to win yet another W Series title, when is she going to get to the next level of open-wheel racing, whether here in Europe? She has too much talent. Why isn't she signed to an F3, F2, or Indy Lights team by now? Yeah, I'd heard she might have been heading to F3, but then, again, if she's been signed somewhere and I've missed it or forgotten, I apologize. But, yeah, same question. Uh, I don't know. Um I don't know. Is it strictly a money thing? Does she have a million plus dollars to do Indy Lights? I don't know if that's the limitation, but 
just as we would hope IndyCar teams, Indy Lights teams would be looking for not just great talent, but hey, if I have the choice between a woman who is phenomenally talented and a young man who is phenomenally talented as well, and we have no women in IndyCar, maybe it's not a bad idea to give her a chance or a shot. Uh, maybe that's in the best interest of the sport if you're going to get equal performance on track. Um, I don't know why that isn't more of a consideration, James, uh, but it isn't. So I don't know. Uh, I continue to root for her and Alice Powell and some others in uh, the W Series to maybe make their way over here because, boy, we would be better off for it. Uh, last thing here, thank you all for staying with me here for about an hour and 15. Ricky Zagata just says, man, big congratulations on 8 million plus downloads. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just stupid. Like I, it's hard to fathom. It really is. It, it's be honest. I feel a little embarrassed. Like, I don't know why anyone would listen to the nonsense that I do. I'm not saying this for any effect. I'm just saying like, I enjoy what I do. I appreciate y'all for listening, but, uh, you know, there's anyways, I'll just shut up and say, thank you. My wife tells me I need to do a lot more of that. Just say, just shut up and say, thank you. So with that, I do say thank you to all of you for everything you sent in to Jim Kaiser. Once again, for putting together our questions, please come see us Friday at three o'clock on the Cooper tire stage in the vendor midway at the Indy road course. Thanks again to the kind folks who sent me. Oh my God, Becky. Look at that pumpkin, uh, Cooper tires as well. Thank you. The justice brothers. You are amazing in torontomotorsports.com. You are just my spirit animal of fun. Prude rocks at gmail.com. Happy birthday to our putty cat Rosie. And I'll be speaking to y'all here soon. Thank you once again. <laughs>